from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. Hey, this is Michelle. And this is Mark. And this is our 101st edition. Wow. How long did it take us to get here? At least 100 weeks. <laughs> Let's see, there's 56 weeks. No, not 100 weeks, is it? Because we we've been doing like multiple ones each week. Yeah, but I know, but we release every week. True. So mathematically. Oh, that's right. It would be. Would it be? Mathematically, it would still be almost two years. That's almost right. two full calendar years. Again, proving exactly how much research we do for each and every show. <laughs> <laughs> now, because we're in, well, if you all recall, when we started too, we had about 12 episodes in the can before That's we went live. Because we went live during the first Tiny House Jamboree. Right. Is when we finally started going live with the show. But didn't we shit can those, for lack of a better term? Say, we, we had yeah. 12 in the can, but I don't think we... Start, I don't think we agreed to start with 12 or something. We, no, we started with three or four and started releasing them. And there were some short episodes that have right. never heard the light of day. And likely never will. Which are, no, those are for our uh, special paid members. Which <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, our special $1,500 a year membership. Yeah. Which uh, we have some available. Just a few left. <laughs> uh, Either I that or PayPal. Mark Either Grimes at. No. <laughs> Either that or someday when we're super, super, super famous. Or stoned. Or stoned. <laughs> or stoned. Because the stoned is like more likely than fame. Well, there was some... I don't there, smoke. You know, there were some pretty funny 20-minute episodes that we did, I think. I there think were. So too. That have not seen the light of day. Mm-hmm. The question is, will other people think it's funny? No. I would be interested in hearing them now just to see how much our perspective has changed. That would be interesting. Because, mm-hmm. that, because at that time, the... The tiny house movement, for lack of a better term, has come a long ways in two years. The legalities, mm-hmm. our what True. we know about them, yep. what we each one of us individually plan to do with them, for yep. lack of a better term. I'd like just like to hear that. I'm just like going back and reading your diary. Yep. Never go back and read your journal. I would no. I, I for some reason I had a knee jerk reaction when she said that. It felt like she actually went and read my diary. <laughs> <laughs> it's like such a taboo thing for someone to do. Do you go back and read your own diary? Every once in a while, yes. Really? You? Yes. Mostly when I'm moving and oh, you're yeah. packing and you're packing or unpacking or downsizing. And I'll find diaries from when I was really young, like mm-hmm. 12, 13, 14. I used to have this word that I would use all the time. I was probably about 12 years old and it ended up in my diary all the time. I don't know if it was a cultural word or not. The word was inner, inner. So it was inner, 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 no, inner, inner, kind of an expression for not great, not bad, just kind of inner, inner. I heard neener, neener, which is like a taunting phrase. Right. How do you spell that in a diary when you're writing it? E-N-E-R, E-N-E-R. Huh. Inner, inner. I've never even occasioned to read that word. No, no. (laughs) Let alone try and spell it. I know. And I probably haven't said it since I was 13. (laughs) So anyways. Um, yes, 101. Wow. A lot's changed in the podcast studio. That's true. Because our, our listeners don't know, the original podcast studio oh. was a $50 recorder. Was it $50? <laughs> $49.99 on Amazon. <laughs> in the middle of a table. 
on on a a a washcloth (laughs) so it didn't get bouncy sound yeah but i was improving the shit out of it and now we're in a real studio no my favorite part about when we first used to record was we had a whiteboard that we used to kind of set off to the side of the lobby because the front door was right there so people would come into the office area and they'd be talking or wheeling their bikes or talking on the phone or whatever so I think probably four or five episodes in, we finally put a whiteboard that was kind of a semi-divider between mm-hmm. the entry and the lobby, and it said, shut the fuck up, yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. recording a podcast. With a nice happy cartoon <laughs> face. Mark would always draw a happy cartoon <laughs> face. And then people would walk in, and I'd usually be one face and door flapping my arms like the chicken, just <laughs> pointing, people not knowing what exactly is happening. Yeah, so, uh, and now we have the tiny, uh, tiny tiniest studio it gets so warm in here sometimes it does get yeah, we've got ten, we've got well it gets warm because there's so many microphones <laughs> there's so many, there's like nine in here yeah 10 so our studio is what 84 didn't we decide it was 84, 84 square, square feet. feet 84 square feet mm-hmm. it's supposed to be a copy room so it, for everybody out yes. there in corporate america you know that little quasi wasted closet yes. of copy space yes. get rid of it <clears throat> mark rather creatively turned it into the uh the Bigfoot Studio. That's right. People love it. So as you're, I know you're listeners. Look, I know you're about to take your finger and push the 15 second jump ahead. Skip button. ahead. Because <laughs> you don't like our banter. Shut up, asshole. Before you do that, I really want you to uh, subscribe to the show. We've been talking here at the studio and we would love to see, actually, we, we discovered that we can't tell when you subscribe, but we'd love it if you would subscribe to the show so that we can show up in your inbox. Is that what happens, Mark, when we? It just automatically downloads. Okay. So you don't have to go through the hassle of downloading. Yeah, yeah. And when you subscribe, you automatically be um, entered into that uh, $1,500 special <laughs> membership package that we have. And you can hear maybe one of those old episodes. That's going to keep Seriously. on. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So. <clears throat> it's like, it's like, it's like I'm on Gilligan's Island in a grass hut right now. I know. That's a hard, what? hard, hard <laughs> one. Was, it was good that's, one. Awkward, but it yeah. kind of works. Oh, yeah. Okay, I yeah. see where we're going. I wanting to switch the grass in my hut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, without further ado, geez, we're, we suck. <laughs> uh, we have one of the pr- times we suck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we have um, one of the principals of Switchgrass Tiny, Ho- Tiny Homes. Let me get the name right. <clears throat> his name is Brian Denhart. His wife, Jessica, couldn't be with us, nor could his infant son, apparently. I think it's Byron. <laughs> what did I say? Brian. Did I say Brian? Yeah. Byron. Sorry. Yep. I almost said, sorry, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Byron. No worries. No Keep, worries. Keeping with the tradition no of the tiny house podcast, I got his name wrong. Even a very simple one. Very nice. <laughs> it's right in front of my face. I, I, <laughs> Skype, hand, Skype window saying Byron. And I said, Brian. <laughs> Fuck. So, um, Byron, welcome to the show. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. appreciate it. Where are we reaching you at? Uh, I am in uh, beautiful, sunny Urbana, Illinois. Urbana. So yeah, we're we're about Urbana. I don't know a couple hours south of Chicago, depending on uh, traffic and construction and you know all that fun stuff. Very cool. So very cool. And you you uh, you realized wanting to be in the tiny house business, I guess, because of your culmination of talents and abilities that both you and your wife possess. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, it was it was kind of an interesting path that we we took to to get where we're at today. Um, you know, I've, I've I've been an entrepreneur before in a previous life, 
Um, you know, we, we were successful in that business. We, we sold it then you know, worked for, uh, another company that went, actually went to work for someone else for a few years and it, they were in the real estate development. Uh, we did a lot of apartments and mixed use buildings, uh, here at the university of Illinois. And I was kind of a big project manager for them. Um, you know, I've always been a handy guy. I've always had a little bit of knowledge in construction, but you know, with that, we were handling everything from new roofs on buildings to, you know, my first project, I coordinated remodeling 132 kitchens in one building. And we did it in about, oh, six months. Wow. You know, and it was, they were, they were efficiency apartments. So literally they, they weren't any bigger than our model tiny home is. Hmm. And we were remodeling eight kitchens a week while the people were living there. Um, so through that, we just kind of, you know, I, I, got a lot of great contacts in the contracting world here, you know, work with uh, a lot of these guys, the mechanical guys, you know, year in, year out on several large projects. We got a lot of relationships and plus, you know, Jessica and I, we're, you know, we're kind of avid HGTV watchers and we remodeled our own home. We uh, have a design degree from the university of Illinois. Uh, Jessica is very artsy and creative. Um, She experiments in a lot of different uh, artistic mediums. And so, you know, about a little over a year ago now, uh, I was let go from my job and, um, you know, kind of, we, we tried the job search thing and, you know, it was frustrating to say the least, uh, so with, with my qualifications and experience and it, it was just tough going to find what, what we needed and wanted and what was even out there and available to us. And, uh, for whatever crazy reason, uh, the thought of building tiny houses kept coming to mind, you know? Um, and at first Jessica was like, no way, no way. Hell no. We're not starting another business. We've got a baby <laughs> boy at home. who's just about a year old. You know, we're, we're not going to start another business, but you know, kind of through continually looking for the job that was the right fit. It just, it wasn't there. And the idea of building tiny houses kept coming to mind. And finally one day, Oh, it was, maybe sometime in uh, late August, early September, you know, we were on a walk one Sunday morning and uh, with, uh, with our little boy and, and um, I brought it up again and she kind of looked at me and said, okay, if we're going to do it, tell me your plan. You've always got a plan. So lay it out there. And so I did. And the next thing you know, we were on the phone with trailer made ordering a trailer. Wow. And, and, and here we are, you know, we, we started construction on our first tiny home, uh, October 1st last year, we built it in, uh, right about five weeks and stayed up till about two thirty three o'clock in the morning to get it ready and rolled out to our first show at 6am the next morning. <laughs> and, uh, and here we are, you know, uh, you know, giving it a go. Nice. So that conversation after she said, tell me the plan, what is the plan? You know, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, uh, of course the plan is to build tiny houses, build them, live sell them, ever make after, money. you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, isn't that everybody's plan, but yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for us, it, it, it kind of, you know, it, it kind of takes on a, a bigger meaning than that, you know, and a couple different prongs to, to that dual meaning. Um, you know, one, we, we really want to be able to help our customers, um, live their dreams. Uh, it's as, it's as simple as that, you know, the, there's a, you know, the tiny house movement is about so much more than just living in a tiny space. And regardless of whether you're living tiny, there's certain aspects to the tiny house movement that you can apply to your life. 
Um, you know, we believe very strongly in that. And, you know, we really believe strongly in helping our customers achieve their dreams and their goals uh, in living tiny. Um, you know, and we, we kind of think about it kind of a, a dual prong as far as like, you know, people think about living a tiny life as, as minimalism. And we kind of reclassify that as not really minimalism. It's not about living without or in a sparse, you know, uh, living sparsely. It's about living with what's essential to you. You know, so uh, my wife, she, you know, Jessica likes to quilt. So, and that's something that's essential to her. So if we, you know, if we were designing a tiny house for us, there is, you know, room for a sewing machine and, and quilting space and a cutting table and things like this. If, you know, baking is something that's very important to her, she's the baker in the family. So we would need to have, you know, a stand mixer and, and sheet pans and cooling racks and a Cuisinart and all these different things that go into it. So, you know, when, when we start talking to customers about their, their tiny house dreams and about building a tiny house for them, we actually send them a questionnaire that we kind of developed that asks a ton of questions, you know, everything from the basics about, you know, budget timeline, have you thought about the size of your house and all these kinds of things. But it also gets down to the nitty gritty about what are your goals for living in a tiny house? What do you want to achieve? Um, you know, what is essential to you in living? And because it's important to have those things in that space, because without them, then you're not going to be successful in, in living in a tiny house. Uh, but even bigger than that with you know, on the business side of things for us as a family, it's, it's something that Jessica and I do together. You know, when we're designing a house for somebody, you know, we, we banter off each other. We, we talk about each other's ideas. Um, you know, she's the artistic person in the family. So if someone comes to me and say, I says, I want a house that looks tray chic on the inside. <laughs> I don't have a clue what that means, <laughs> but she does. So that's where she comes in. She's like, Hey, sweetheart, here's a picture of it. You know, do this, you know, build this. Can you build me this? I'm like, yes, I can build that. So, you know, that's where she comes in. And so, you know, her mind, she really has the ability to think outside the box um, and, and kind of weed through the noise. You know, my mind works to where I'm, I'm throwing out idea after idea after idea. And, you know, sometimes it, it gets a little, a little cluttered up there. You know, and she has the ability to kind of weed through that, see how all the different colors and textures and features work together and and just say, okay, this is what we're doing. Here's the plan and, and nails it down. So and plus, you know, uh, so it's, a, you know, with with us doing it together, it's really important to us um, and then building something that, that we can leave for a little boy, you know, something that is uh, is important, um, you know, is socially important. Um, truly helps people and, and just build a good business um, that uh, that he sees mom and dad uh, that they're involved in, that they work very, very hard to provide not only for him and us, but for our customers as well, hmm. um, you know, and, and just run a, a good, sustainable business. Um, that's very important to us. You, t you were talking about uh, helping people identify, self-identify their own goals. And I was thinking about that uh, Howard Schultz, the Charlie Brown commercial, where I believe Lucy sits behind the little uh, faux storefront and it says the therapist is in. Oh, yeah. So I'm picturing <laughs> yeah. like the tiny house therapist is in, like, mm. tell me about your goals. Mm -hmm. Tell me about where you want to be in five years. You know, that typical, really uncomfortable conversation people avoid at all costs. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, it is very much like that. You know, in fact, we're, I just sent off a, uh, you know, a, a preliminary design sample to uh, some possible customers yesterday. Um, you know, they have very specific goals. You know, it's a, it's a young couple. You know, they anticipate traveling for his work. Uh, she intends to be a stay-at-home mom, and, and they want to have two kids uh, while they're living in a tiny house. And, and you know, they've, they've thought it through. You know, their plan is to live in a tiny house up until their two children are ages about five and seven. Wow. And so it's, it's something to where when, when I'm sitting down, I'm, I'm, I'm a little old school when we begin designing. So I'm, you know, I've got an architect scale and a you know, piece of grid paper and a pencil. And that's how I start with, with floor plans. I can sketch out things to scale and lay out how the house will look, but you got to think about those things, obviously, you know, saying, okay, it's got to function as a couple. Then it's got to function with a pregnant mama walking around. <laughs> then it's got to function as, okay, a newborn baby. And then, okay, toddler years with another baby. And so it's, it's you know, having the spaces be multifunctional is an understatement. You know, you got to think about the privacy, you know, have a, have a little nursery that can be shut away and quiet from the rest of the house. And when you're only looking at something 300 square feet, roughly, it's, it can be tough to do, but you can do it. Um, first, quickly to our listeners, that was uh, Charles Schultz, not Howard I know. Schultz. <laughs> Howard Schultz, the Starbucks, that's, that's the, coffee, the coffee lady's making a coffee call out there. I was like, I was like, my mind going, isn't that, that a coffee? Anyway, um, Byron, so quick question on, um, so you, you started a previous company and you sold it. And a lot of people we know that, that have done that. It's like, great time to build my 15,000 square foot monster house and a plane and stuff like that. Obviously you went in a whole different direction. Um, yep. what, what caused that? Um, you know, our, our, our first business, it was, it was successful, but it was not like, oh yeah, we're millionaires and, you know, can retire and live comfortably. You know, what, it was, what was you know, it? for me, uh, it was a pickup delivery laundry service here at the university of Illinois. So we'd, uh, we'd go to your door, pick up your laundry, do it, bring it back the next day. And, uh, so we, we had a lot of different fraternities, sororities. We had a few commercial accounts. Um, but it was something that we started in our garage, um, and grew it, uh, had it for about eight years. And we're able to, uh, sell it after that time to one of our partners. And, um, you know, by the end of it, we were washing literally over 2000 pounds of laundry a week. Wow. Um, and that so like it was, hell. you know, it was, it was, it, it was, it was interesting. It was clean, but it was hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we found a few interesting things tucked away in the laundry bags. Oh my and, God. You know, <laughs> yeah. You, you know, when you're, you know, when you're doing group pickups at fraternity houses, oh you can clean them yeah, out and, and even oh, then you probably can't. <laughs> But, you know, it was, it was one of the deals we, we learned a lot anymore, and, so. and it was, you know, we kind of characterize it to, you know, if you read a lot of different, uh, you know, magazine articles and entrepreneur magazine and Inc magazine about these entrepreneurs that, you know, really hit it, you know, when you really hit it, it's not necessarily with your very first business, yeah. it's with your second or your third exactly. or your fourth business. Yep. And, and we kind of characterize it that way that. <laughs> You know, yeah, student valet. It was it was successful. Yeah, we were making money, but we weren't making money. Mm -hmm. You know, we were paying the bills. We were we were you know we were giving ourselves a salary, um, but it, it really wasn't singing like it should have been. Um, and some of that's through you know the type of business that it was. Uh, some of it was through probably some mistakes that I made. There's no doubt. Um, but 
you know, after eight years, we feel like we, we learned a lot from that business, both the good and the bad, both the right way to do things and the wrong way to do things the things you need to pay a little bit more attention to, you know, or so on and so forth. And so we're, we're kind of, you know, looking at that, taking what we learned from the previous eight years and then the few year hiatus to applying it to this new business here. So Byron, when you, so you have this experience with the laundry service entrepreneur route, and then you went to a mm-hmm. job and then you got laid off. It's, it, it is there. And then you, you mentioned your wife being somewhat reluctant for you to start this tiny house business, regardless as whether it was tiny houses or something else. Can you mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about the reticence that your wife had? What, what was it about the entrepreneurial experience before the job that had her reticent? And was, did that prompt you to taking a job instead of starting a second thing after the laundry thing? Um, yeah, it, it did prompt me to taking a quote, real job, you know, uh, uh, eight to five, you know, work for somebody else, get the solid steady paycheck, health insurance benefits, the whole nine yards. That, that's definitely what led me to uh, taking that job. Um, and, and her reticence was, you know, simply with knowing the amount of work that goes into starting a business, you know, um, you know, the, the long hours, the being home with your nose, uh, stuck in front of the computer screen in, in the evenings, you know, doing work, the, the late nights, um, you know, even though I'm, I'm home sitting on the couch next to her, uh, with my, you know, working on my computer, if I'm working on my computer, I'm not really home. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not connecting with her. I'm not spending time with her. Uh, I'm on the same couch in the same room, but I am not mentally there. And so, you know, when, when we had student valet, it was, uh, there were some, there were some issues with that. You know, we, we kind of had to learn to work ourselves through that. I had to learn to consciously put things down, you know, stay connected, um, shut the phone off, you know, turn off the iPad, turn off the computer and, and just be with my family. Um, and now you compound that to where, you know, we have our little boy. It's even more important that I'm able to do that. Um, so I'd say that was the, the biggest red flag, um, you know, and her biggest hesitance for, you know, jumping in and starting something else uh, is just the time commitment, uh, knowing that there would be travel involved with this one. Um, you know, going to shows, being away from home, her having to, to wrangle our kiddo by herself, you know, right now, especially it's no easy task. He's, he's, you know, on the move, constantly exploring the world and it's, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a handful, you know, it's, it's great. It's a lot of fun, but man, you are worn out by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, those, those were the biggest hesitations and, you know, with the laundry business, we were selling, you know, 20, $25 a week, you know, uh, laundry packages and up here we're selling, you know, tiny houses that are tens of thousands of dollars, you know, so it, it takes longer for those sales to materialize. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a little bit tougher, a little bit different, um, you know, mindset when it comes to, you know, selling, um, and, and marketing and, and how it works and it takes longer for the leads to materialize. Uh, so it's, it's just a little bit different animal. Um, you know, and that's, that all kind of plays, played into it for sure. So when you decided to build your first one, uh, who, who inspired you or what was, what was sort of your design mantra at the time? Um, super efficient, cost affordable, lightweight, high end, you know, every, every tiny mm-hmm. house builder almost has like a, like a personality. Did, was, were you very formalized about how you went about that or were you, uh, 
more of kind of off the cuff we'll sell you we'll sell you whatever you want to buy um you know honestly for for us our our personal kind of design mantra or design philosophies is uh jessica characterizes it as simple elegance you know uh be simple in your design but yet well thought out you know just really think things through as as much as possible uh build it simply using quality materials uh materials that have some character to them and just let the design and the materials speak for themselves. You know, we really want to build, uh, higher end time homes. Uh, you know, we don't use cheap particle board on the outside. You know, we use nice cedar siding or, you know, something that's renewable. We've got a really nice tongue and groove inside, you know, high quality flooring. That's not going to scuff up. You know, we, we want to build higher end high quality models that are going to be around for a long time, but just a, a simple design, uh, our first one, uh, our blue stem model that you see on our you know social media and website and everything, it's just a very simple shed roof design. Uh, design, honestly, that I think's kind of been out there for a while. The the you know bathrooms four, you got a galley kitchen that kind of leads to it, and then a large living area with the loft up above the kitchen and the bathroom. Uh, but we just wanted to do it well, do it right, and just give people the oh wow feeling when they walk inside. And I think we accomplished that. Are you, uh, sorry, I totally lost my train of thought. I had a question that just completely just <laughs> No worries. I could be a little long-winded, so I'm just anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> well, actually, podcasting is an interesting art form because you kind of have to stay present and listen, of course, to what they're saying. But at the same time, you want, of course, to have a formulation of a next question. So sometimes mm-hmm. I don't cross those boundaries very easily. Is, <laughs> is there, so does your wife work with you in the business? She, she does. I mean, she, she has her full-time job that she works. She actually uh, is in charge of cataloging the art and architecture collection for the University of Illinois Library, uh, which it's, I think, the third largest library in the country. Um, so, you know, it really kind of plays into her helping with the business when someone comes and says, hey, I want a house that feels mid-century modern or whatever. She, mm. she literally looks at these books about design and architecture every day mm-hmm. um so she she you know brings that to the table but you know really when you know when when i start working with customers and and you know we get into the design process that's really where she comes in she helps me with some of the layouts if if we have questions uh she reads through our, our custom build questionnaires with me uh, we kind of talk about different ideas a lot of times she'll even sketch out some some layouts and floor plans um, for me to kind of quote clean up and, and make sure that they work when, when you do them to scale. Um, and then when we, when we get to the point of doing a formal build, uh, that's where she kind of works directly with the customers to start choosing finishes, colors, fabric colors, textures, patterns, you know, all that kind of stuff so that the, the whole picture just kind of comes together. Um, and that we, you know, that way she can, guide me as we build to say to to get the tiny house to where it, it has the feel um that the customer wants uh so you know not full-time necessarily with the business but she mm-hmm. definitely stays involved and, and keeps my head screwed on straight is it sexist to say that um guys <clears throat> they may be good at construction but when it comes to design and making someplace look pretty you got to have a woman on board 
Yeah, pretty much. It's not sexist at all in in my mind. It's uh, it's a necessity, yeah. <laughs> is what it is, especially in our family. So, you know, like I said, I I just kind of my my brain works on the on the the design, the functionality, the layout, make sure that I can I can build it and that it flows through the space. But definitely, when it comes to making it look pretty and have a certain feel to it, um, that's definitely where she comes in. Right, you know. So when it comes to when the hammer meets the nail, what do you do for each build? Are you the general contractor? Do you have employees? Do you have subs? Um, you talked a lot. I mean, it sounds like you interact a lot with your customers, which is probably a full-time job in itself. So what, what part mm-hmm. of the builds are you actually uh, intimately involved with beyond you design? Know, I, yeah, I, I swing a hammer. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of part builder, part general contractor. Um, how we operate is uh, I, I have one or two uh, carpenters that, that help me with the bills. They're subcontractors. Um, so when we have something going, we bring them in and, and away we go. Um, and then for the mechanicals, we hire that out with licensed contractors here in our area that I've got relationships with and have had relationships with for, you know, three or four years now. Um, so, you know, outside of you know, I can change, hang a light fixture, change out a light switch, something like that. But beyond that, I don't claim to be an electrician. I don't want to be. Um, and so that's why we, we hire the pros to do that kind of thing. So, um, so that's, that's kind of how we, we operate. You know, I, I know enough to ask the right questions to make sure we're going down the right path, you know, when we're building you know, as far as the mechanicals go. Um, but really I, I want to have, I want to have the licensed professionals, the experts in each of those fields, uh, doing their part on our bills just so we can make sure it's, it's done right. Um, and then that's where, you know, we try and build two conventional housing code standards wherever we can. Um, and then we are part of the, the NOAA certified group as well. So each of our builds are, are NOAA certified, uh, at the end, um. You know, so again, it just, we feel like that kind of brings some third party legitimacy, you know, by having the licensed contractors working as part of the bills, by having the NOAA certification at the end, just bring some legitimacy to, to the quality product that we are, who we are, and that we actually know what we're doing. We're not just some, I'm not just some guy that was delivering newspapers or delivering pizzas and decided, man, let's build tiny houses and make a bunch of money. <laughs> you know, no, 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 that's, that's not. That's not us. You know, it wasn't a huge leap to go from my design background and construction project management background to building tiny houses. And, you know, in the parts that I'm not an expert in, I go get them. Um, and so that's, that's how we like to operate. Well, we've certainly heard stories of people doing exactly what you say you're not. And yeah. the, the horror stories that come from that, like that one yeah. build, we, we had that woman on who paid $15,000 of her life savings to have mm-hmm. built. And then the moment she moved in, there were bugs in it. And it was just a, it was a mess. It was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it <laughs> makes me sick, you know, and, and it goes back to the beginning when we were talking about, I want to build a good business, you know, um, you know, something that's going to be around a while. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not in this just to make a, a quick buck and in a year or two, move on to something else. That's, that's not my style. It never has been. It never will. You know, yes, we want to make money and, and support our family, but, um, there's a right and a wrong way to do that. And we're all about doing it the right way. And talking about the horror stories, it's, it's, you know, our motivation is not necessarily to scare people away from the tiny house movement. It's kind of part, uh, motivating people to do their research and to look into the builders and do their, 
you know, get due references. Diligence. Yeah, the due yeah. diligence yeah. process. Absolutely. And uh, Absolutely. kind of buyer beware. Yeah. Um, but it, it can feel sometimes like we're trying to scare people off the time. I know some people are like, oh my gosh, I can't, I, there's, you can't trust anybody. And, you, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And so, um, it, again, it's a fine line between uh, yeah. sort of information and, and fear mongering, mm-hmm. I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, and I tell people and, you know, we, we really hit the road hard this spring. I think we did, oh gosh, seven different events in about two and a half months this spring. And, uh, you know, I tell people, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm an open book. Ask me any question you want to. What you see is what you get. And I, I feel like it's important to get out there as a builder because it is about the personal relationship. You know, there's, there's a lot of quality builders out there. We're all capable of doing the same thing. Um, you know, if when you're looking at buying a tiny house, it's a matter of, you know, finding the right person to where your, your thoughts, your, uh, you know, your morals, where, where all that kind of aligns and, and you feel like you're developing a good relationship with the builder because it is a personal process. You know, uh, a lot of these people are investing their life savings, you know, into a tiny house. Um, and we don't take that lightly. Uh, so it's, it very much is about just making sure you're comfortable with, with the builder. You're doing your due diligence. You feel like you've got a good relationship and, you know, we, we hold ourselves to the fire as well. We've got a contract that we signed that holds us accountable. It holds our customer accountable, you know, and, and if your builder's not willing to do those sorts of things, yeah, maybe you might be one to look somewhere else. So. Will you admit to learning something at your first uh, tiny house event? Uh, the first one you went to, were you surprised by anything or did something kind of smack you in the face that you didn't realize before you were actually inundated? Oh man. Uh, we definitely learned a ton at that first one. Um, <laughs> you know, the, it was, uh, it was a tiny house road show that we did, uh, in Indianapolis. It was the first weekend of November and they had about 10,000 people walk through in about two and a half days. Uh, there were lines literally 45 minutes to an hour long just to get into each tiny house. And there were about 12 or 15 houses there. And it was just kind of, it was overwhelming. I was there by myself, uh, trying to man this literally for the first day I stood there for eight hours, uh, didn't take a break, didn't, uh, didn't go to the bathroom, didn't eat anything, Mm -hmm. didn't drink anything. I was like, Whoa, what have I got myself into? (laughs) (laughs) You know, so it was, uh, it was a little crazy. Um, and, uh, you know, my family were able to come over and kind of help a little bit and they were just as overwhelmed. It was like, I can't believe we're doing this. Um, and, uh, it was just overwhelming. And so, you know, we, we kind of changed our approach a little bit from that one because it it was so crazy. It was great. It, It was, it was wonderful in the realm of getting the name out, getting the name out, getting the word out. This is who we are. Um, but at the same time, because there were so many people there and people were waiting such long times to get into the houses, you felt like you really couldn't take much time to talk with any individual person, you know, whether they expressed true interest or not, you kind of felt like you had to get them in and get them out, especially with just one person being there banning the house. So, you know, for the rest of the shows, we changed it up a little bit. We tried to have some help. Uh, I've got my, one of my best friends in the world. Uh, a guy named Rob Mullis, he's from Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, he started joining me to shows where there at least be two people, you know, two of us in the house. We we have a little uh, comment card box that we set up now in front of our house to where if people do have interest in, and want us to follow up, we have a little sign there that says, if you want us to contact you, please fill out your information. 
you know, and we'll do so. So that gives people a chance, regardless of whether they can, they have a chance to talk to us or not, they can at least drop their information in. And so, you know, we kind of changed up a, a little bit of how to do it. Um, and plus going to the first couple of shows, kind of saw what some other builders were doing, um, you know, and, and how they approach their shows. Um, maybe we borrow a few things from them or change things up a little bit, you know, um, and, uh, and so, yeah, we, we definitely kind of have been learning along the way, uh, some of the actual festivals that we go to, to where, you know, it's not necessarily a trade show style, uh, in an arena, but more an outdoor festival, you know, you'll see us with a grill and a smoker going out behind the tiny house and, you know, chances are, you know, by early evening, there'll be some good barbecue going, you know, around mm -hmm. us. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how, how we operate these days. You know, it's, uh, yes, it's about getting out there, getting the word out, selling tiny houses, but it's also about having a little bit of fun, you know, while you're doing it. And that's important to us. So do you, you have a, um, do you build the houses yourself or do you have a team working with you? Uh, we, we've got a little bit of a team, you know, I've, I've got uh, one other really good trusted carpenter, um, one or two other uh, people that can help. Uh, a lot of times my parents will come out and give us a hand, especially for, you know, down to staining or painting or something like that. You know, they're out giving us a hand, helping cut long boards. Um, you know, my dad just turned, oh gosh, 77. I was wondering. Wow. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he, he just turned 77, but he's, uh, you know, it, you pretty much can't keep him away if, if he knows his kids uh, in, involved in a big build. You know, he's going to be out there helping us out, going to lunch with us, uh, you know, helping cut boards to length or, you know, up on scaffolding, nailing them up. Um, you know, so it really is kind of a group effort, a family effort. Um, and then, like I say, we, we hire the, uh, our local contractors that we know really well and trust. You know, we hire those guys to handle the electrical, the plumbing, and the HVAC work. How, how old are you, Byron? I am 42, mm, okay. I think. Yeah, I'll be 43 in August here in another couple months. So, <laughs> so yeah. Young, I, I feel like I'm the oldest 42-year-old you'll ever meet, so. <laughs> well, with a one-and-a-half-year-old, that's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> That'll make I'm you feel old and well, fast. Well, I think yeah. so. <laughs> so as you, as you look at this from a business perspective, not so much a contractor's perspective, <clears throat> there, there are a lot of people out there in the tiny house movement trying to make a go at being a builder. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, we've talked to a lot of them. And some right. of them really struggle with the with the uh, the the profit margins, the mm. ability to build these things in a way that are that are cost effective, so that they can turn around and sell it and make make some money at it. Yeah, a really big struggle there. Are you having a similar situation? And if you are, kind of tell us tell us how you're dealing with that. Well, you know, we're having a slightly similar situation because uh, where I'm at here in Central Illinois. Um, the cost of living really is pretty low. It's pretty inexpensive here, especially when you consider, you know, uh, taking, you know, my house that we live in, you know, my wife and I, we don't live tiny, uh, but we're only in about 1,400, 1,450 square feet. Um, and when you factor in having a 22 month old toddler running around, uh, it would be very tough for us at this point to live tiny, unless literally it was on the exact right hunk of property to where his, the outdoors was his playground. Um, but you take my house and drop it out in Colorado or in Portland or, you know, uh, Bay area, it'd be five times as expensive at least as what it is. So the cost of living here is really low. So, you know, um, 
it, it's tough for us because we get a lot of people that come to us with very unrealistic budgets. And part of that is because a where I'm at, if, if they're local, you know, they think they, we can build a 28 foot tiny house fully completed for 25 or $30,000. And that's just not possible. Mm -hmm. Um, part of that too is, uh, you know, the TV shows, uh, honestly, they're, they're great in many ways, but a lot of times what they say the cost is to build a tiny house on some of these shows is completely unrealistic uh, as well. Um, but honestly, you, you don't know how they're figuring that figure. You know, if, if they say, oh, we built this tiny house for $15,000, you have no idea, honestly, how they're coming to that total. You know, they could have half the stuff donated. They, are, they probably are not factoring in anything for the value of their time. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, the do-it-yourselfers out there, yeah, if, if you don't factor in your time, then you might be able to buy, you know, build a house for fifteen dollars or $20,000 just in materials. But uh, even that's pretty tough to do. So, you know, it's, it's something that we struggle with a little bit. Um, but going into it, we knew that, honestly, we were trying to build a nationwide business. Our customers are going to be coming from all over the U.S. Uh, potentially. Yes, we might sell a few here locally, but, you know, realistically, most of our customers are coming from elsewhere. So that's why we spend a lot of time going to shows in other areas of the country that are hotter pockets, uh, per se, for, for tiny houses. So the, you know, the profit margin thing, it, it is definitely something that we, yes, we do struggle with a little bit. Um, you know, we've since only starting since October last year, you know, yeah, we are fairly new. So, um I'm not quite sure how it's all going to work out just yet, you know. Um, but most people that we're working with, they understand the value of what we build. Mm -hmm. And especially once they see it in person, and that's where 95% of our leads are coming from right now is from people that we've met at some of these shows and festivals. You know, they've been in our house. They, they've seen what we do. They've seen the quality of the construction. Um, and especially once they walk into a house and realize, oh, hey, you've got over 5,000 miles on this tiny house already and it still looks brand new. Well, yeah, that's because of how we built it. Um, you know, so once once you can get them inside that house and, and see the quality of craftsmanship that you produce, um, it makes that conversation and, and that, um, you know, that issue uh, a little bit easier uh, to deal with. Well, it's, it's interesting. You, you mentioned about the TV shows. <clears throat> we, not very often, but sometimes we talk to people who have been on the shows and they, in some ways the shows have helped the tiny house movement, but in other ways it's really hurt it in some ways by mm -hmm. giving people the yeah. false impression about what you can get. The, the last show we just had, someone was there, they were on one of the shows and they were talking about how none of the systems work in the tiny house they completed. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that assessment. I mean, the whole movement kind of has a love-hate relationship with the tiny house shows. And now the tiny house shows have even gone further into the quote-unquote reality TV uh, sort of genre. They're doing meaning fake or meaning... Well, they're building tiny houses for um, celebrities and oh. at really, really famous athletes oh. and hmm. kind of even more headed away from the what they call the point mm -hmm. you know um oh, so I yeah see. we i think we all i personally also have a love-hate relationship with tiny house tv in general but it is 
absolutely none of us would probably be here if it wasn't for them. Mm-hmm. They took the TV shows, um, collectively took the tiny house movement from this little anecdotal sort of cute little trendy mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. to really mainstream. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. And so yeah. we hate them, but we also love them at the same time. Yeah. And as yeah, far as I, the budgets I, go, I've heard that they actually, there's absolutely no math associated with a budget. Um, <laughs> number. Right. The number is literally a strategic number um, that they come up with based on the demographics or the type of people that they think would be interested hmm. in that style oh. or that type of house that they're building at the time, right? That makes sense. So if they're building a really, really simple, quote unquote, tiny house, they're not going to really say, oh, it costs eighty thousand dollars. Even if that was reality, mm-hmm. they're going to say, "Oh, it's twenty five thousand dollars." Because the people that are going to be looking at those would probably, you know, would not watch or would not be able to relate to the TV mm-hmm. if it was. So yeah, the number is completely fictitious. It is completely pulled out of an orifice um, <laughs> and uh, just kind of fake. Uh, along mm-hmm. with you know, again, love hate relationship. They're all fake, but it's still tough to build a house. I mean, mm-hmm. for any amount of money. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd I'd say that's the best way to characterize it. I mean, it is a love hate relationship, <laughs> and, and 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 you're right. You know, I I haven't been on the shows. I've talked to other builders that have, you know, and they've said the same thing. They're like, man, it was a pain in the butt mm-hmm. doing a build mm-hmm. while it was being taped, and they they almost had to build two houses, one that could be taped for the show, and then the actual one that they're building in reality. Wow. You know, because a lot of the scheduling and everything just didn't jive with what needed to be done versus what the TV producers and things wanted to tape and show. Yeah. Um, but they're they're rolling the dice. It's the same thing. They're like, yeah, it was a pain, but they say the phone's going to ring, so we'll see. Um, you know, but it's, you know, it, it's it's interesting because now, partially because of the popularity, and I've seen this, and I've even seen this a lot of the shows we go to, there are a lot of different things being characterized as a tiny house. You know, in my mind, when I think of a tiny house, I think of a tiny house on wheels, anywhere from, you know, virtually nothing up to maybe 400 square feet. That's the most. I mean, and you're talking a big old gooseneck road ready going down the road. But now, you know, one of the last tiny house shows um, that were trying, they were trying to get us to go and the logistics just didn't work out. You know, they had a 750 square foot foundation home there, you know, kind of a, a kit, you know, wall sections and frames. And, you know, it's, it's basically a small house. You know, now you're getting into to park models and the, the manufactured home industry is trying to capitalize on it by calling themselves, oh, we're a park model tiny house. You know, where, where I'm at here in Illinois, that's a single wide. You know, it's a single wide or a double wide and you're in a trailer park. Right. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of people trying to capitalize on that. And the true definition of a tiny house is kind of getting skewed in my mind, um, you know, to where, you know, it's, it's tough for me to compete when I go, you know, with, a, you know, when I've got our tiny house on wheels, it's, you know, within all the standard DOT maximums, eight and a half feet wide, 24 foot long, 260 square feet that's priced, you know, low 50s. You know, when I go to a house or go to a tiny house show and there's, you know, park models from Clayton Homes there that are 400 square feet or more for 40% less money than what mine is, wow. um, you know, all the way up to 700, 750 square foot homes on foundations at the same show, it's, it's really hard for me to compete. And it, it seems like sometimes the show organizers are using the, the tiny house on wheels to get the crowd in. Right. But 
but and mm. that's their marketing Very ploy true. because wow. everybody wants to see Very a tiny true. house on wheels because yep. they're neat and cool and a lot of fun right. and all these different things. Yep. But some of your serious buyers, at least half that crowd, if not more, are going to veer over towards your park model, your home on foundation because they don't want to deal with the legalities and zoning issues and all this kind of stuff to do a tiny house on wheels. So it's a lot easier just to go buy a park model for 40% less money or a kit home or something like this. And, you know, it leaves the rest of us with tiny houses on wheels just kind of sitting there in the dust. Um, so it's, things are, you know, the marketing aspect is getting a little tricky and a little muddy. Um, you know, it's just things that we're kind of, you know, looking at, you know, really what, what moves do we make as a business to, to make this work? Because uh, if you're just strictly selling tiny houses on wheels, yeah, there's a few guys out there that are doing it and doing it well and, and being successful, but you know, like you're saying, kind of going back to the profit margin and things like that, it's, it's, it's a tough business. So, yeah. you know, looking long-term and having a strategic plan and strategic alliances and things like that, that's really, really, really important. Even Tough Shed actually is having a banner year. I've heard that they're, the Tough Shed, their profits are actually up 50%. Um, I heard someone say. On their sheds yeah. or tiny, mm. are they making tiny houses? People are buying their sheds. They're putting them in the backyards mm-hmm. and calling them calling tiny, them houses, tiny houses. houses. Basically, wow. yep. you know, it's like. <laughs> Wow. Yep. Um, Home Depot and Lowe's, you know, their, their sales of those little, the sheds you see in their, in their parking lots and so forth, they're, they're selling out of them literally faster than they could build the, the models for wow. the parking lots. Yeah. So, yep. so yep. that's it for this week, right? We're all, uh, we're, uh, thank you very much for, for being on the Tiny House podcast. We definitely yep. appreciate your time and, and Tiny House listeners, we hope you, you uh, learned a few more things. And, so, Tiny House listeners, we would like you to subscribe, and we'd like you to go on iTunes and also give us a rating. Uh, we like to go on the air and actually read some of the ratings and some of the feedback that we get from our listeners. So, it makes Marks and our job a lot more easier to find them. Uh, so, five-star rating, one-star rating, let us know what you think of us. And uh, that's a wrap. So, thank you, Tiny House listeners, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. And we'd like to give a quick shout-out. Do you know how much better we sound? The last few oh, episodes. Yes. Oh, yeah. So uh, we'd like to thank Rick Mernerny. I was going to make fun, but I'm not. Don't make fun of a guy helping us. And he's <laughs> living in, uh, not New York, but where is he living in again? Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Rick from Brooklyn. Thank in you, Rick, for making it. In- <laughs> it's a kilt. It's a kilt. <laughs> but he shouldn't be in Brooklyn. He should really be in Portland, do you think? Yes. Or Ireland. So- or Ireland. Or Scotland. Thank you, Rick. Thanks, Rick. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if you remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>